Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. In a moment, I'm going to read God's word for us, but before I do that, I'll, I'll just pray for us as we come to, to the Bible. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. You are the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and we are about to hear you speak through your word. Help us to listen well and to respond with hearts full of joy as we hear the very words of the living God and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the reading today is from Revelation starting at chapter 4 verse 1 through to five fourteen. So I'll give you a minute to look that up in your book or device. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 
He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. And if you're new or visiting this morning and you just heard that Bible reading, you're going, what on earth do they read here at City Light Church, North Adelaide? Uh, Good morning. Welcome to church. I'm Simon. People call me Jacko. I'm lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. And we are in a series in the book of Revelation. And if you're visiting for the first time today, welcome to church. Uh, We're at week five in our series, which I think is just expanding longer and longer So you actually might be in Revelation for the rest of the year at this rate, but no, we're not going to do that. Um, I'd love it if you have uh, Revelation open in front of you, Uh, Revelation 4 and 5, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats around you, it's on page 1917, that would help me a lot if you have that open in front of you this morning. Um, As I do, um, as we come to God's Word this morning, I often get you to turn to the people around you and share a thought, answer a question, etc. Today's question is not very challenging. Um, but it may be a bit nostalgic. It may take you back. Here's the question. What was your favourite song, the song that you loved to listen to when you were at high school? For some of us, that was just like yesterday. For others, it's a little longer. Um, not looking at anyone in the room. Um, what was your favourite song that you used to love listening to? Maybe you still love listening to it today. From your days at high school, go, turn to the person next to you, share what that song was, and if you're brave, you could sing it. There you go. Um, go for it. I'll give you a couple of minutes to have a chat to the people next to you. All right. Who's, uh, who's brave enough to share their neighbor's suggestion? No, who's, who's brave enough to share their suggestion or their song? Yes. Right. 
right? Lady Rider by Dice Streets. Abba. Handel's Messiah. That's, that's great. That's quite an eclectic mix of... No, there you go, there you go. Anyone else? We are the champions. Yeah, right. Yeah, nice. Oh, you've got a friend. You've got a friend in the church. That's good. Somewhere over the rainbow. Great. Anyone else? Another one bites the dust by Queen. I, mean, I thought I knew you people, but I don't. No. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say, I think my favourite and the one that sort of brings back memories is, um, don't shoot me down for this, but Wonderwall by Oasis. Um, just a bit of a classic one. Um, mixed memories when I hear that song. <laughs> uh, days before I was actually a believer in the Lord Jesus. Um, I won't go into details of what... Anyway, anyway... Um, Keep those things in mind. Um, like I say all the time, we get, I get you to talk about those things. It may or may not have anything to do with what we're talking about today. Uh, but uh, hang on to your hearts. Um, as we come before God's Word, it'd be great um, Yeah, if you keep, you keep that part of God's Word open. Uh, because this morning, I am going to tell you the future. I'm going to tell you the future this morning. Uh, you can put away your horoscopes. Uh, you won't need those anymore. We'll have to go somewhere else to see the future, but trust me, it'll be worth the travel. This is an exclusive. The ABC, Today Tonight, the project on Channel 10, they've never filed a report from there. Sky News and all the other news agencies have never flashed a breaking news story across the screen from the latest from this particular place. You're going to be ahead. We are all going to be ahead of the media pack this morning. This is the hottest ticket in town. We're going to join John, the apostle, as he looks, as he puts it in verse 1 of chapter 4, through a door standing open in heaven. And heaven stands for a spiritual world, a real world, if you like. The real world, but one that needs revealing. One that is easily forgotten. If living day after day, you're trapped on a penal colony, like John was, surrounded by armed guards and fellow prisoners, or a world that can seem a long way away, if your existence is a a back-to-the-wall existence, holding out against the widespread oppression and persecution of Rome, and the synagogue of Satan, like the church at Philadelphia that he's writing to that we thought about last week. Or even if you're just enjoying the comfort, the materialism, the self-sufficiency of a group of God's people like the one in Laodicea in the first century, the one where everyone would turn up to Sunday gatherings complete with your David Jones and Ted Baker bags. No passports are going to be needed for this trip. No cash required. No cameras possible. But if you want to know the future... If you want to know, as John puts it, what must take place after this, you have to be able to hear the voice of the person, see verse 1, speaking like a trumpet. The voice of chapter 1 of Revelation, the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. You have to be like John, who is in verse 2, in the spirit, so he can take us through this open door and show us the heavenly reality. What must take place 
John will be shown a heavenly map of history, all of God's purposes. That's why it's not what will take place, but what must take place after this. So why don't we pray and ask God to speak to us this morning and reveal this wonderful reality to us. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father, the words of um, one particular commentator on this passage come to mind as we pray now as your people, uh, that just as the aroma of a coffee shop draws us in, so does the aroma of the prayers of your people, Heavenly Father, draw you near to hear. And so, Father, we pray this morning as we come to your word, we pray that, Lord, by your spirit, Father, you would help us to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and to love Jesus. So, Father, speak to us through the word of Jesus, and would the Spirit reveal our future and enable us to live well in the present as your people. And we ask it for your glory and our joy. Yeah, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. As we get traveling together, as we see this heavenly reality opened up, just a word to those of us who might struggle with the imagery of the book of Revelation and be tempted to kind of give up, pack your bags and kind of just go home. Um, Revelation can be a bit like a maths problem is to me, right? I can't do maths. And so it doesn't matter kind of what maths problem you put in front of me, I just can't do it. And we can get a bit like that with Revelation, can't we? Like, who on earth can understand this book? But we do know imagery and symbolism, right? We use it in 21st century life. Um, For example, we understand political cartoons and symbolism, yeah? So um, political cartoons, they often depict the United States of America as a what? As an eagle, yeah? They rush up, you know, a bit controversial right now, but as a bear, Um, the UK, welcome if you're from the UK. They, they picture the UK as like a lion or a bulldog. Um, there you go. Many of us understand the point that's being trying to make. But there are people, right, and I affectionately call them weirdos, who just frighten us with the ridiculous literalism of the book of Revelation. Here's C.S. Lewis, quote, There's no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they don't want to spend eternity playing harps. All the scriptural imagery, which we get in this particular chapter, harps, crowns, gold, is of course a merely symbolical attempt to express the inexpressible. Musical instruments, he goes on, are mentioned because for many people, not all, music is the thing in this life that most strongly suggests ecstasy and infinity. Crowns, he says, are mentioned to suggest the fact that those who are united with God in eternity share his power and his joy. And gold, he says, is mentioned to suggest the timelessness of heaven. Gold doesn't rust and it's precious. And if you've seen the price of gold lately, you'll understand that, right? Um, People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ tells his people to be like doves, that means we're to flutter about laying eggs, yeah? And again, we're not free to make the symbols mean whatever we want them to mean. Many are clear echoes or shadows of the Old Testament passages. That's where the meaning comes from. 
I've said this before, right? As we look at the book of Revelation, knowing the Old Testament is really important. Otherwise, we'll end up in all kinds of weird and wonderful places. So, for example, Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, there's a mention of a rainbow, right? Which reflects God's promise of mercy to Noah after the devastating flood in Genesis chapter 9. Through to the titles of Jesus in Revelation chapter 5, which are kind of communicated via living creatures of verse 6, which are all drawn from Ezekiel chapter 1, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Sure, we may not know every single detail, but actually the big picture is within our grasp. So brothers and sisters and friends, come through the door. Peep into heaven. And with me, see into the very heart of these wonderful spiritual realities. And as we do, the first thing we notice in chapter 4 is what I've called the throne and the worship. The throne and the worship. Look with me, Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. Someone sitting on it. Sounds a bit bland, right? Sounds a little bit, I don't know, anticlimactic, but it's far from being an anticlimax. Everything that is said in this part of God's word tells us of the importance of this someone. He's got, verse 3, the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, precious stones, and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne, a ruler sitting on the throne whose hallmark is mercy, priceless like an emerald. And then in verse 4, notice the 24 other thrones. These are lesser thrones that tell us just how important the throne is. The 24 elders almost certainly refers to the 12 Old Testament patriarchs who formed God's people of old, the original people of Israel, and the 12 New Testament Apostles. Now, I said before I'm not very good at maths, right? But 12 plus 12 equals 24, right? Am I correct? Is that good? Yeah. 24. 24 kind of founding fathers of all of God's people. And so we've come here, right, to the Lord of the church across all of salvation history from creation to new creation. And then verses 5 and 6, the lightning, the thunder, the blazing light, the sea of glass. I don't know about you, but as I read this, I'm kind of stepping back in awe. And we're meant to feel kind of smaller by the moment. Now, I've known, I know, we've seen in our lifetimes, puffed up great ones, dictators, compounds, presidential palaces full of glitter and gold and pornography, We've known that their rule has only ever extended over like a tiny little empire, an African nation over here, a Middle Eastern kingdom down there, and a, and a Western state over here. But this is different. Look with me at verse 6. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Here is the whole of creation. 
One like a lion, the greatest of all wild animals. One like an ox, the greatest domesticated animal. One like an eagle, the greatest of flying animals. And one like a human, the greatest of all God's creatures. And the whole of creation is there. And in verse 8, whole of creation is singing. And in verse 9, the whole of creation is giving thanks and, and worshipping. And in verse 10, they're laying down, casting down crowns before the throne. And guess what? The throne is not empty. The throne is not empty. But brothers and sisters, if you're anything like me, there are days where it feels like the throne is empty, yeah? Did you feel that? In your own life, when you look around, you feel like no one's, the Lord is not in control. I mean, watch our country where successive governments cry out for values one moment and yet arrogantly and dismissively trample on so many of the Judeo-Christian heritage which gave us values. Or look at professional bodies who at times come across as contemptuous, even frightened to find any trace of Christianity being explicitly brought into the workplace. And yet it's the Christian worldview that has shaped many of those workplaces. You live in homes, work in schools, study at universities, work in offices where those attitudes seem to dominate and we need this vision to remember that someone is on the throne. And look how they speak of him. Verse 8, he is holy. Not just holy, he is permanent, eternal. And in verse 11, he made it all. He made all of us. Verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You created all things. How arrogant to ignore God and think you can explain or understand the world. But how easy to forget that he is anything but a God delusion without this reminder. You see, God's read, sorry, not God's readers, John's readers, the first readers of this letter of Revelation, they, were, they lived in awe of Caesar, the emperor. You know, his image, the image of the Roman emperor was spread all over this region, the length and the breadth of what is modern-day Turkey. He was the one that you were called upon to bow down to, to make sacrifices before. You, weren't, you wouldn't just pray for the emperor, you'd pray to the emperor as if he was divine. And we all live under Caesar, right? Powers, political, philosophical, ideological, economic. All these powers that daily demand our allegiance. But their thrones are pale shadows of this one. Their empires are shriveled imitations of this one. Their power is fleeting and temporary compared with this one. They seem invincible in their time, yeah? But the Caesars, they've long gone. Bitten the dust. Part of history. Communism only lasted really about 70 years. And the capitalist West, maybe its glory days are behind it. Did you notice, as they sang verse 8, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you see it repeated in verse 9. Glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. And in case you're a little bit slow this morning, be like me, he repeats it again in verse 10. Worship him who lives forever and ever. So tell me, which throne is at the centre of your life? Which throne is at the centre of your world? You know, Monday morning, tomorrow, when life with all of its routines kick back in again for most of us uh, and they take their grip and will you still have your eyes on the throne room of heaven? Will you, will me, will I still have the, the boldness to live its reality? Or will the immediate push out the forever and the ever reality? The throne and the worship. In the midst of this amazing vision, I think someone kind of cries out and says, whoa, 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 just hang on a moment. You know, a hand goes up, I reckon, in John's subconscious mind as he takes in this awesome scene all around him. You see, it's all very well, right? But our world here is still very real, yeah? We live in these bodies, in this world. The spiritual dream world is all very good and wonderful, but we need to deal with hard realities, don't we? I mean, we've got to live our lives here today, tomorrow. And in my world, God doesn't show many signs of making that vision anything more than a pleasant fairy tale at times. Something like that seems to be in the air as we head into chapter 5 and John spots a troubling flaw in his happy picture. See how chapter 5 begins? Then I saw. Every time you come across that little phrase, then I saw in the book of Revelation, it's like, pay attention. Like, wake up, have a look. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Here's a scroll with lots of writing on it. You didn't normally write on both sides of the paper in the ancient world. And it's got seven seals, complete number. God has sealed it completely. And only an authorized one can open the seals. And what's so alarming is that this scroll seemed to contain God's plan for all of humanity and it needs delivering on. Often people try to come up with bright ideas And when I'm in meetings, people kind of come up with bright ideas and being the boring old man that I'm becoming, I often ask at the end of these meetings, well, who's going to do it then? Great idea, who's going to do it? Because I've learnt slowly and through experience, and I'm still learning the old adage that the idea without a person will always remain a daydream. The idea without a person will always remain a daydream. Well, have a look with me at verse 2, chapter 5. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept, verse 4, and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. See, even the Apostle John knows it. An idea without a person will always remain a daydream. 
He's been so carried away and, and so thrilled with what he's seen, but now he realizes there's no one to deliver on it. And so he wept. And he wept. I don't know if these are prophetic tears, wonderful though his vision was. In practice, God's people are left facing oppression and persecution without hope unless someone can come and deliver. Whether it's him, I don't know, facing up to his own sin, the unworthiness of him and all of humanity before this holy God. He knows the need for help. He knows the urgent need for rescue. The humanity needs rescuing from sin. But if only someone can come and deliver. So pick up with me as we come to the lion and the lamb. The lion and the lamb, Revelation 5 verse 5. John is weeping. Who can open the seals? Who can deliver on God's great promise? Who can bring forgiveness from sin and the hope of eternal life? Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. God's purposes and plans are more than a pipe dream, more than a daydream. They are what must take place and here is the one who will deliver. If you want to do some research, right, and, and, and read about the line of the tribe of Judah, you can go to Genesis chapter 49, back in the Old Testament. He landed up a great ruler. The obedience of the nations is his. Here is an, an international king. You'll find the root of David and, and sort of offshoots, pardon the pun, of all of that throughout the Old Testament. But one great place, the root of David, is featured in Isaiah chapter 11. A descendant of Israel's royal line will be the ruler of a new future world and the nations will rally to this ruler. Don't forget that international element. And as the images blur into each other, which they do in visions and dreams, you get this extraordinary thing happen, right, where the lion of verse 4 becomes a lamb in verse 6. Have a look, verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, a king. For the lion stands for a king who is actually a once dead lamb. Who is it? It's Jesus, of course, who was led like a lamb to the slaughter at the cross of Calvary. I don't know if I've said this to you before, but right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, this is not in my notes, Adele's in Queensland, so I'm free to do this, right? If I was doing this, she'd be like, don't go there, don't go there. But, you know, just don't tell her. Um, that's my wife, by the way, if you don't, Adele. Anyway, um, beginning of John's Gospel, I love, I love John's Gospel. There's this moment, right, where um, John and some of the disciples of John are kind of hanging out just in, I don't know, downtown Galilee, just, you know, sipping on a latte, Soy decaf, flat white, whatever it is, you know, just hanging out. And then all of a sudden, right, they look down the street and Jesus is coming. Yeah? He's just walking along. Don't know what he was sipping, but anyway, walking along. And, and John looks at him and what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to do what? To take away the sins 
of the world. I would love to have been there. And it's at that point that John, the disciple, who's been preparing people for his coming, he basically says, go over there. He's the guy that you're waiting for. It's a remarkable thing. It's Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, who then lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserved on that hill outside of Jerusalem, on the hill of Calvary. He's, he's only looking, though, on Calvary as if he'd been slain. And here, he still bears the marks of his death on the cross, but he is risen, he's ascended, he's ruling in victory, he's reigning over all the world, and he takes centre stage now in the vision of John. Did you see? He's standing, where? In the centre of the throne. And as the chapter unfolds, Jesus is the central theme of the new song. Have a look, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10, You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. You know, just think about this, the cross that place of execution, of horror, of shame, of weakness, a place of failure. It's what gives Jesus the authority to enact God's plan. You know, Chuck Colson, I don't even know if Chuck Colson, um, from the US, died about 10 years ago now. He was the founder of an international Christian ministry called Prison Fellowship, um, which works amongst prisoners all over the globe. Um, sharing the gospel, helping prisoners who, who follow the Lord Jesus, continue to follow him, introducing new people to Jesus. Um, he was once a lawyer, and he was the right-hand man of um, President Nixon. Uh, so in the White House, right, Chuck Colson had great power in the White House. Um, he got caught up in the Watergate scandal. Um, he gave his life to Jesus. He then spent some time in prison for his part of the scandal, uh, one day, he was speaking about the prison fellowship, the ministry of, its founding, and its purpose. And he said this in the midst of one time. He said, I quote, The remarkable thing to me is that what has opened more doors for me than anything else has not been my legal brain, has not been my intimate knowledge of the workings of the White House, the authority, and the power that I once had. No, what's opened more doors for me than anything else is my prison record. Prisoners would listen to him because he's been where they are. I think something like that is going on here in the book of Revelation. You see, the power of the Lord of history is not given to some authoritarian despot, but to the one who sacrificed himself to display God's mercy and provide grace to those who desperately need it. He is the one who has the right to open the seals which we will see in the next chapters, unleashes all kinds of disaster, but ultimately unleashes God's justice itself. That right is given to the one who tasted and experienced the ultimate injustice. The one who had done nothing wrong takes the penalty for all the wrongdoers of all time so that we might be rescued.
God will only appoint our rescuer as his judge. And you would have noticed, verse 9, that the rescue that's offered to this by this lion, this lamb, is indiscriminate. Verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. It's indiscriminate. It's for everyone. Someone asked me recently, one of the great blessings of our church is that we regularly have new people coming through. I mean, I, can't, I stand up here every time, I'm like, I don't know, half of you. No, anyway, um, we've got lots of people coming through, new people. People coming to find out a bit about who we are. Some people coming to find out who Jesus is. We've got some people who come and stick around. And one of those people who's come and stick, stuck around the other day said to me, hey, Jacko, um, City Light Church North Adelaide's got this vision statement I hear a bit about. Um, We seek to see more people, more like Jesus, from all nations. And someone asked me, like, where do we get that vision? The answer I gave the other day was Revelation 5. We cheated. I said, we happen to know the future. We looked up where history is headed, and we decided to get onto the winning team. We just thought it was the sensible thing to do. More people more like Jesus, from all nations, because Jesus is the saviour of all nations. Turn over your page, if you don't mind, in your Bibles. um, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and we see this. Um, Have a look what we find, Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing where? Before the throne and before the Lamb, They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, friends, this is is where history kind of ends. So who wants to be a fool, right, and sort of meander off in a different direction? That's why we believe God has put us here. He's delivering on his plan to draw people from every tribe and people and language and tribe to come to the Lamb and to worship him and find forgiveness in him. Come back to chapter 5, verse 10. And you see, here is our future. It starts now as Christians. God has purchased men and women from everywhere. And he has, verse 10, made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. Do you see what that's saying? Serving God is our destiny. Serving God is what we were made for. Serving God is what we've been saved for. Serving God is actually to be fully human. Please don't ever let people say to you that being a Christian is like a subset of being a human, just like a little side bit that sort of comes together to make you a whole person. No, it's not. It's the full reality of what it means to be a human. And, verse 10, they will reign on the earth. That is, they'll reign in the new creation. I had a win as a parent this morning. Um, Sebastian, our middle guy, Um, he comes to church with me early 
and we do a bit of setting up. Well, I set up, he watches Roblox or something. And uh, I, um, I'm busy. Then we get to this point where, you know, Sebastian's badgered me enough. Dad, Dad, can we go and get a couple of like savoury bites from Baker's Delight? I sort of wait for the 10th time he's asked me. And then we go. And we went over there this morning, got some savoury bites. I get a long black and we go for a bit of a walk. And I was walking up the street with him today and I said, Baz, just a really quick question. Where is all of history going? He claims to be a really smart guy, right? So I thought I'd test him. He goes, I love this moment. Parenting win. It's going to the new creation, Dad. I was like, yes. Your mum must be doing a good job. (laughs) They will reign on the earth, the new creation. That's where things are going. If you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not our home. We're just passing through. The new creation is where we will be with God and enjoy him forever and with one another. The lion and the lamb, he's the one who delivers. As we draw to a close, perhaps as we get our feet back on the ground, as some would tell us to do, here's just a couple of implications, applications for us this morning. As we... Live out this vision in the here and now, today, as Monday morning beckons. Here's the first thing I want to point us to. Please don't divorce the lamb from the throne. Please don't divorce the lamb from the throne. And you go, what does that even mean? Here it is. Don't don't somehow construct your idea of God without Jesus. I was brought up as a child um, in bits of Sunday school and with a little bit of, you know, school religion thrown in, which largely centred on the creator God. You know, you know, the wonder, the power and the magnificence of the God behind it all. But as we've seen this morning, to stop there will only end in tears. Because it's a religion that can't cope, never mind with science, it can't cope with the realities of of life if it's got nothing to say about all the things that are tearing apart our world. The sin that demeans and alienates and offends a holy God. If all we know of God is that he's powerful and mighty and magnificent and we haven't actually come to the Lord Jesus and confessed our sin and trusted the Lord Jesus, the end is not good. Don't forget what the Spirit's been showing us this morning about the heaven realities. Did you notice the song of heaven to the Creator at the end of chapter 4? Have a look at it. End of chapter 4, verse 11. A song to the Creator. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's the song to the Creator, and yet it's matched by the song to the Redeemer, the Lamb, in chapter 5, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And brothers and sisters, as we head to eternity, there's one song we'll all know and one song we'll all be singing. And it's not amazing grace. It's there in verse 13, chapter 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea And all that is in them, like no one's left out, right? No one's missing. Singing 
To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Please, don't try and worship and pray to a God separate from Jesus. Don't try and teach me a God who is separate from Jesus. Don't divorce the Lamb from the throne. And alongside that, Here's a second lesson. Don't drown the new song with old tunes. Don't drown the new song with old tunes. Adele and I were invited a little while ago to a party. It was a 90s theme. Yeah? Some of us are lucky enough, we don't have to change anything. We just turn up as if it's normal. Singing Oasis, Wonderwall, yeah? We lived back there and we still do live back there according to our three children. Anyway, what the Spirit's been doing to us this morning is actually the opposite of that. He's not sent us on a nostalgia tour to sing the songs of our youth. You know, the great songs that get covered unrecognizably by some X-factor performer. No, the Spirit has shown us the hits of heaven. The song that one day everyone will be singing and the new song that excites anyone who loves God and wants to be part of what he's doing in the world. Look back at chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. You see, brothers and sisters, that is who we are. Purchased people with Jesus' blood, redeemed and purchased now to serve the one true and living God. And the question is, will you, will I be singing this song, that song tomorrow when the alarm goes off, when you're making your pour over with your single origin, when you're packing your bag, when you're riding the bus? Or will it be drowned out by other tunes? Just another manic Monday. I've been back to my days. Or another tune. This is how we do things in this firm. Or this one. Don't dare bring God in here. Will you be singing the new song? This vision, given by the Father through Jesus to John and then delivered to the people of God in the first century, was delivered to a bunch of people living for Jesus in the first century who had their backs to the wall, who were suffering more or less terrible oppression and horrible persecution. And it still happens today. This song, this hope of heaven, this hope of the new creation is just as real and just as necessary to stimulate and give hope to God's people who are struggling than it ever was. I don't know know if you're as shocked as me to hear just a couple of weeks ago of a group of gunmen who entered a church building on Pentecost Sunday in Nigeria and indiscriminately opened fire, killing at least 50 believers and injuring heaps more. 
So far in the country of Nigeria, I think this year alone, over 900 Christians have been killed. Open Doors suggests that it's one person a day on average. It's not just Nigeria. Over the past decade and more, Iraqi Christians have been fleeing their homeland in droves. And next time you're listening to the news or reading the paper, whatever it is, or scrolling through Facebook and, and someone wants to put out a press release of the feel-good factors about Iraq, do ask them to think about what we've done to protect the Christian community there. Precious little is the answer. You know, rightly, these days, the Israeli government gets to face awkward questions about how it treats people, but we mustn't forget to have other Arab governments answer awkward questions as well why is it that the christian community in bethlehem deserts that city in the hundreds it's because they can't live there given the pressure they're under this is a vision given to show people in those situations and circumstances that the power does not belong to those who oppress and persecute and tyrannize and frighten them. But the future belongs to men and women, children purchased by Christ's blood. And despite their suffering, they will reign in the new creation. It's given to people to give them hope, to provide them with strength to patiently endure. You can't sing this new song and surrender. It's a song given to those who are facing persecution and oppression and desperately hanging on to life. It's also a vision that's given to sleepy, comfortable Christians. A wake-up call given to those who are content to just drift along and come and pay their dues on a Sunday. It's a wake-up call to say it's not simply enough to come. We need to live today as those who serve the true and living God. I don't know what it will mean for us individually. I suspect it's becoming high time we serve God and our nation. We need to be speaking up to our leaders who are rapidly selling off the family silver, our Judeo-Christian heritage. Speak to governments who want to redefine everything. Can't sing this new song and simply shrug our shoulders. I'm reading Michael Bird's new commentary on Romans at the moment as a personal devotional book. And you're pretty sitting there going, geek. You know, I love it. Anyway, I think I found this quote the other day as I was reading Michael Bird's commentary. I think it's relevant to what we're talking about here in this vision in Revelation 4.5. He writes this, God does not save us and then assign us a number until it is time for us to go to heaven one individual at a time. Rather, God saves us and puts us into his family for the purpose of sharing in the family business of worship and mission. Worship and mission. We're called to reflect a God whose Jesus was slain, slain to rescue those from every tribe, language, people and nation. You know what, we, we can't be complacent about belonging to a 
a full or growing church. There's a city to win. There's a country to reach. There's a world to be rescued. Your mission exists because worship doesn't. The Lamb died. Christ died to make us missionaries. A kingdom and priest. It's an allusion to the missional identity of Israel, God's original people. Israel was called from among the nations to do what? To be a light to the nations. And John says, Christians, you are now part of this priestly kingdom. Christ died to make us a missionary people. I would argue, if we are content to leave people unreached, then I reckon we haven't grasped the full depth and meaning of Jesus' death. We can't sing this new song and just sit. We can't just sing this new song and shrug our shoulders. We can't sing this new song and just surrender. They're reaching the unreached people of Adelaide, of Australia, Antarctica, Alaska. It's the task that God has given to his church. City Light Church, North Adelaide. Part of it. So before the band comes up and leads us to sing our song of worship and praise this morning, I think it would be good to ask ourselves, how would the Spirit of God have you serve the living God? I'm going to give you two minutes, just in the silence, to ask God to reveal how might you live this future today, tomorrow, until you see Jesus and enjoy him forever. How would the Spirit have you serve? Have you serve our God? Let's be still. Let me lead us in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for giving us this morning an open door to heaven. We praise you and we thank you that the throne in heaven is not empty. Thank you that the Lamb who was slain for us sits on that throne. And may the song of heaven be the song that shapes our lives. And Father, would you send us out in the power of the Spirit to serve you this coming week ahead. Father, wherever we do find ourselves this coming week, whether it's in the office, on the ward at the hospital, studying on campus, at the coffee shop, at home. Father, wherever we are, may the vision of Revelation 4, 5, the hope of the new creation, be a song that we sing this week. Be the song we sing this week. Father, help us to work and to study in a way that honours you. And Father, we pray that you would give us opportunities this coming week to point people 
to the lion, to the lamb. That those we work amongst, men, women, from every tribe and people and nation and tongue, that they too would come to know what we've discovered. Your mercy, your amazing grace, and a hope that is sure. And so this morning we join with all of creation in heaven and earth, acknowledging you alone as worthy of all our praise and thanks. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.